We do the right thing, people count, and we hold ourselves to a very high standard. Very simple values, but Guardian as a mutual company is owned by its policyholders and every employee tries to apply those values in serving Guardian's policyholders. On this episode of In the Know, ACCT's president and CEO, Noah Brown, spoke with Deanna Mulligan, former president and CEO and current board chair of Guardian Life Insurance, about her recent book, Higher Purpose. Deanna and Noah discussed the skills gap, strategies for developing talent, and how community colleges are involved in these topics. Deanna was the only female CEO of a Fortune 500 company in New York City and was recognized by Fortune magazine as one of the 50 most powerful women in business. I'll include a link to Deanna's book in the description of this episode. This interview was recorded on Zoom, so you might notice a few brief dips in audio quality. Deanna, I want to thank you uh, for joining us on this edition of In the Know with ACCT, our signature podcast. It's a pleasure uh, for you uh, to join me today. And uh, I know we're going to talk about your book, but I want to welcome you to the show. Well, thank you, Noah. It's great to see you again. And it's a pleasure to be with you and your community college listeners and uh, friends of the community college system. Well, you and, and Guardian are certainly a great friend of ours, and we appreciate that. Uh, Deanna, let me start this off by complimenting you on your new book, uh, Higher Purpose. And for our listeners, that's higher spelled H-I-R-E. Um, you began the book uh, talking about the effect of Superstorm Sandy in 2012, which I think occurred maybe about a year into your tenure uh, as CEO at Guardian. Um, and that had a very, uh, impact, very uh, large impact on you, as you write about, uh, at which point you came to focus, I think, on three uh, specific values, which you continue to embrace today. Share with our listeners uh, what those values are, as you describe in the book, and how you believe they came to represent the North Star for you and Guardian Life Insurance. Uh, well, Noah, um... Yes, Hurricane, or excuse me, Superstorm Sandy, sometimes it felt like a hurricane, did present a big challenge to Guardian about a year into my tenure as CEO. We had a five-foot wall of water washed through our building, and because of some infrastructure issues in the street under our building in New York City, we weren't able to move back in for nine months. So we all left on Friday and didn't go back essentially for nine months except for a few people in hazmat suits who were allowed to go in and pick up essentials. So that was a big wake-up call for me as CEO. We didn't have quite the disaster preparedness plan that I would have liked. It was adequate, and we were able to serve our customers in a way that met our standards and meet all of our responsibilities, but I would have liked to have had a better plan, particularly when it came to the immediate aftermath of the disaster and trying to find our employees and locate them. And we ultimately ended up helping quite a few of them with things like generators, maybe relocating them if their houses were damaged, uh, trying to do everything we could so that they could focus on work and we could help them with their families. And it really taught me a lot about if you 
kind of think about the whole employee and really serve their basic needs and their family's needs first, they will do anything to help you. And we had employees do incredible things during Superstorm Sandy, like ride their bike for miles to the nearest Starbucks so they could plug in their phone so that they could download financial information so we could close our books on time, which we did. Uh, but when it was all over, it was rather harrowing. And I said to my new chief technology and information officer, Dean Del Vecchio, your charge is to make sure we never have to do this again. We need to be completely location independent so that we can operate through a crisis and we don't have to put our employees in harm's way. And Dean did a, and his team did a fantastic job over the next five years or so, helping us to become more flexible and be location independent. And as a result of their work, when the pandemic rolled around last year, we were able to leave our offices early, keep people safe and work entirely from home, which Guardian is still working from home almost a year later while providing excellent service to our customers. So we all learned a lot during that experience. And I think we all benefited from the outcome, which is to say we need to be more flexible. But during this entire time, we were guided by Guardian's values. And, and these values Guardian had before I arrived as CEO, I really tried to make sure the whole organization lived by them and we amplified them. But those are, we do the right thing, people count, and we hold ourselves to a very high standard. Very simple values, but Guardian as a mutual company is owned by its policyholders and every employee tries to apply those values in serving Guardian's policyholders. That's great. So in a sense, your experience in 2012 was sort of a precursor to the pandemic, wasn't it, in terms of shifting the way that you were operating and how you were going to meet those three core values every day? Absolutely. You mentioned that Superstorm Sandy happened about a year into my tenure as CEO. And as you know, I just recently retired from Guardian. So I like to say I came in, well, I don't like to say, but it's true that I came in during a hurricane and I left during a pandemic. And certainly crisis management and risk management was a big part of my tenure at Guardian. Yeah, well, that's a remarkable story. I don't think I came in during a hurricane, but I'm certainly retiring during a pandemic, uh, which is not what I had planned for sure. Now let's talk about uh, the title of the book, specifically the use of the word hire. Again, H-I-R-E, which is, I understand, to be kind of a double entendre. Why did you choose this for your title? And what, do you, what does it imply for companies and skill development? When most people hear the words higher purpose, they think of a calling or a reason to do something beyond the obvious short-term reason. And so I like to juxtapose H-I-H-E-R, hire with H-I-R-E purpose, to say that I really do believe it's the mission of a corporation, first of all, to make money. And in our case at Guardian, it's really to secure our policyholders' futures. 
But while doing that, it's important to think about employees' futures and to invest for the long term as well. And I don't think those two things are in any way contradictory. I think having a long-term view of employees and investing in them through education and having an eye on high performance and in our case, uh, long-term financial strength and financial success so we could pay our policyholders' claims far into the future. Those two things are not in conflict. As a matter of fact, I think they support one another. Hence the double entendre with H-I-R-E and H-I-G-H-E-R purpose around the book. Yeah, so let's, let's dig a little deeper into this. So as you know, most companies, many companies, at least up until now, have always focused on sort of immediate skill needs. What don't we have? How can we get it quickly? How can we turn around? And a lot of the conversation around skills and needs and shortages, at least in my opinion, often seems pretty short-sighted. In the book, you talk about developing talent beyond just technological or applied skills. Why is that so important for a company like Guardian Life Insurance? Well, no, I think it's important for all companies to think about the skills they'll need in the longer term as well as the shorter term for a lot of reasons. First, the world is changing very rapidly. Secondly, unexpected things happen all the time, as we've just seen with the pandemic that require different skills. And third, if we are going to take care of employees for the long term, we have to think about not only what skills they might need today and tomorrow, but what they might need five or 10 years from now. It's really about being agile and developing a learning culture and realizing that as corporations, our, our strategy might need to shift. I mean, the need for certain skills, such as digital skills, is accelerating rapidly, as we've seen during the pandemic. But we also have a need for a different mindset, an agile thinking mindset. You know, just in my 10 years at Guardian, we faced both a hurricane and a pandemic, neither of which were planned, and both required employees to be really fast on their feet, so to speak, in service of our policyholders. So going back to this notion that it really does benefit the corporation and its customers and ultimately its shareholders or financial, um, the benefactors uh, that it's trying to benefit uh, from a financial standpoint, it really does make sense to invest for skills for the long term and invest for flexibility. Uh, McKinsey has put out some statistics that say over the next 10 years, 375 million jobs globally will change and that as many as 75 million positions will go unfilled because there won't be enough people with those types of skills to fill the positions. So it really benefits companies to start thinking ahead and training their people now. If they say to themselves, well, I can just get rid of people and hire new ones when I need something different, new ones might not be there. The world is changing so rapidly that we all need to be thinking about our skill set and what we need to learn to do differently. So this is not only good management philosophy, it's a good economic strategy for companies. Yes, again, I think if you go back to the last year, those companies that were able to quickly pivot when their business model changed dramatically, or even if their business model didn't change, certainly 
their working situation and where their employees and how their employees wanted to work changed dramatically. So having that flexibility to learn new skills quickly has really benefited companies in the last year. Well, as you can imagine, we have a lot of conversation and a lot of thought leadership around whether higher education will change and can change its business model in the wake of the pandemic. I think a lot of us are trying to make the argument that don't let a pandemic go to waste. In other words, there are lots of things we've done in higher ed that are probably indefensible now. Um, it certainly doesn't do well to say, but we've always done it this way. But I'm really proud of the community colleges in particular in terms of how they were able to pivot so quickly to online learning. Now, obviously we got some challenges, uh, equity not the least of which, because we've lost a lot of low income and disadvantaged and students of color. But we're working on that and I have great uh, hope that we will make strides in getting them back into the fold. You talk a lot in the book about the concept, frankly, the imperative of lifelong learning and why this is important to you and is embedded in, in your book, Higher Purpose. What does lifelong learning really mean to you as CEO of a major corporation? Well, one thing uh, that happens to me frequently is parents ask me, what should I tell my children about what their future is going to look like? And how can I make sure that my kids are prepared for this changing world of work? And I say, you need to teach them that when they walk across the stage to collect a diploma, that's the beginning of their educational journey, not the end. And I think community colleges have been a tremendous partner over the years with people who want to reskill, who want to do just-in-time learning, who need a little brush up on certain skills, or in many cases, even need to go to their local community college to take courses to learn what their new career might be or how they might change their situation in life. So. I salute community colleges for being a great partner in lifelong learning. And again, there's no better example than the past year of the need for all of us to learn new skills. I'd be willing to bet that most of our listeners were not Zoom experts a year ago, but now we all are because we have to be. And so I think it just goes to show how much we can change all of us, our ways of working, in this case, the pandemic, we were forced to, but it would be nice if, as you said, we don't let this crisis go to waste. And in the future, we think about how can we change beyond what we might've thought we could, and how can we learn more rapidly than we might have in the past? Well, I, I hate to admit, but I was one of those people. I wasn't sure I knew what Zoom was a year ago certainly don't recall Zooming, but you know, I was old school, as you know, I would actually get on an airplane, go someplace, and actually talk to people face to face, which I do miss tremendously. I, I can say Zoom is no substitute for that. But let me just, uh, you know, you talk about flexibility and, and adaptation. I think our biggest concern at ACCT was if we converted our, our leadership Congress which you participated in, I'm pleased to say, back in 2018, would they come if we did a virtual meeting? And I'm pleased to let you know that in October, 
we had our first virtual Congress. We had over 1,100 attendees, which far exceeded our wildest expectations. And actually next week, Deanna, we have our first um, virtual national legislative summit. And I was just talking to my team today, we have close to 700 registrations, which is not far uh, below what we have in person. So even trustees uh, have adapted, I think, to this new world. And I think there's a great hunger uh, for interaction and learning, uh, even on Zoom. One of the uh, important and frankly, really refreshing aspects of your book, uh, again, is this belief that companies invest in people as opposed to constantly hiring new uh, employees to fill shortages. And we talked about this a moment ago, but I wonder if you could amplify a bit on why this is such a better strategy for companies in the long run. Companies are made up of people after all, and I believe people do appreciate their company taking an interest in their long-term future. And there's no better way to demonstrate your interest in an employee than offering him or her an opportunity to really upgrade his or her skills. And in our case, at least at Guardian, to take some courses to think about how their career might evolve over time and what more they might be capable of. The engagement that companies can get from their employees for doing this is, is really remarkable. Our engagement scores at Guardian uh, were already high before the pandemic, but they went up throughout the pandemic in part because I think employees really saw and felt our care and concern for them, not just for their physical safety, which we showed by sending them home early and we could do that because of the flexibility we built into our system, but also by encouraging them to continue their career development even during the pandemic and continuing to offer career development sessions and continuing to offer and even expand the courses we offer online during the pandemic so people could continue to grow. And it pays back in spades because an educated employee base is one that can be more flexible, that can solve higher order problems and that will be better prepared for the challenges that companies are going to face. I mean, clearly the pandemic has accelerated the digitization of just about everything. And so having employees that can keep up with those fast moving changes in customer behavior is really critical. And having engaged employees who are prepared through education is a huge benefit for the companies who take the time to make those investments. And by the way, they're not large monetary investments, they're investments in time. But we think community college tuition, for example, is a huge bargain for companies. And what better way to partner and be known in the community than to engage with the local community college, which has been, for Guardian at least, a terrific source of employees and a diverse source of employees, a source of employees of great diversity, which is very important to us. Well, you must be reading my mind because I was going to ask you uh, a bit more about community colleges. Um, first thing I did when I got your book, knowing you as I do in our, our partnership with Guardian, I uh, went to the index 
and looked at the uh, references. And of course, I noticed with great joy that community colleges were mentioned more than once uh, in the book, uh, which was very exciting. Of course, it didn't surprise me either because I know how you feel about that. But I know that you uh, several years ago started uh, some programs with community colleges, I think initially around issues of financial literacy, which is very important, right? Because one of the things we've learned at ACCT, even on our work looking at student loan and debt is that students don't know enough or don't know what they should know about being uh, good uh, stewards and fiduciaries with respect to their own finances and uh, taking on loans. Can you talk a bit more though about why Guardian uh, made a decision uh, to start working with community colleges uh, and how do you see that work uh, evolving in the future? Sure. Well, after I became CEO, we looked at our corporate social responsibility budget and we realized that we were just sort of sprinkling a little bit of money here and a little bit of money there. Whatever organizations came to ask, we gave them a little bit of money, which was fine and we were happy to be part of our community. But we said, what if we really concentrated our efforts on one or two major programs so that we could have more of an impact in our communities. And we developed a couple of theoretical ways that we could invest in these programs. And then we surveyed our employees and we, our goal was to not only invest money, but to give our, give our employees the opportunity to volunteer and to be engaged. And employees overwhelmingly chose financial literacy for the community as something they would like to invest their own personal time in. And so from there, it became obvious to us that community colleges would be great partners for us. Not only could we help students who oftentimes do face financial challenges, but community colleges could be a great source of recruiting for us that we hadn't historically tapped. And they could also help us in our mission to retrain our employees and try to redeploy those who might not be, whose job might be eliminated and who might not be fit for another one. Perhaps the community college could help us redeploy our own people into the community, which they've done in several situations. So there were many benefits for us in partnering with community colleges. And we started with one pilot at Capital Community College. Thank you if you're listening, anybody from that community college to help us really understand what would be impactful. And we decided that financial literacy training where we would pay for the credits and we would pay for the books for students who were on financial aid um, would be a place we could start. And we uh, allowed obviously the professors to choose the curriculum, but we volunteered our employees to be coaches, financial coaches and tutors for the people, the students taking the courses. And as it evolved, the capstone of the course was each student presenting a financial plan for their own finances to the class and a panel of outside experts, which occasionally included a guardian employee, uh, judging the students and the winners having various prizes. And one of the things we ended up doing was employing people who took the class 
uh, in internships. And we ended up running this class at many uh, locations around the country where Guardian had offices. And then after that, eventually putting the class online so that anybody could take part in it. Yeah, it's great. You know, it's, it's another example of um, all the things that go on that are almost impossible to uh, catalog. So you know that I knew nothing about this or Guardian's role until a few years ago when I happened to be at a summit with your uh, former director of philanthropy and we were on a financial literacy working group. And honestly, both of us were bored in different ways because we didn't think people understood really how to get this done in a meaningful way for students. So we started chatting and the rest is history because as you know, quickly discovered that there were things that uh, Guardian was doing with community colleges and things that ACCT was doing and was interested in doing that kind of aligned in a really wonderful way. Let me talk a little bit about that in the sense that, you know, we were so fortunate uh, to partner with Guardian a few years ago. And as you know, we have done some nice work together. Uh, we just recently issued yet another report on reskilling and looking at labor force needs and, and shifts, which I know is near and dear to your heart, something that you are very, very interested in. Talk to us about why you think partnerships like the one with ACCT or other organizations, uh, even if they're not corporations, obviously in our case, we're a, a not-for-profit association. Why are those partnerships uh, good for companies and um, how can they help companies, in your view, remain competitive and, and future-oriented? I don't have to tell you, Noah, that reskilling America is a big job. Right, and I don't think any one entity can handle it on their own. I think we need government, not-for-profits, business, education, and not least of all, students, all working together to tackle this challenge. This is one of the fastest changes in the skills it takes for people to earn a living probably in the history of the world. I mean, if you look back and there, we talk about this a little bit in my book, there was kind of the mechanization age when things like weaving looms came in and that was a huge change. The move from farms to cities and from farms to factories was a huge change. But all of those things happened over a period of years and years. This is happening this move to digitization and automation is happening in record time. So we all need to stick together and put pool all of our resources if we're going to help people, not just today's students, but people working in companies change and update their skills uh, to keep pace. Yeah, and you know, there's been a lot of writing and, and uh, hand-wringing about the future of humans in the world of work. You know, some people have this very dark point of view that, you know, we'll ultimately all be replaced. We'll be reduced to a set of algorithms. And, you know, we will be in the way of progress, which frankly, I don't believe that at all. But the people uh, that I like to read and, and subscribe to are those that argue that it's human creativity and innovation 
that will continue to be what makes us most relevant, which is, I think, a lot of what you talk about in the book. It's that people, people are the ones who innovate and create um, in ways that machines certainly uh, can't replicate, certainly not now. Maybe in another 500 years, uh, it might be possible. Um, but this notion of human talent and creation. Uh, let me ask you something, just your opinion. So I always bristle when I hear people talk about, you know, companies, you know, they want skills, but they also want, you know, quote, soft skills. And I always bristle at the term soft skills because I think soft skills are human skills. What do you think about the term soft skills? Well, I agree with you. No, I don't particularly like the term soft skills either. And if you look at the list, uh, there's a list that, um, well, several different organizations have produced lists, Fast Company, Wired, LinkedIn, you can find these lists of what are the top 10 most desired skills. And actually from 2019 to 2020, there were several changes on the list of top skills desired. And skills like leadership, empathy, ability to change, creativity, have really started appearing on these lists with great frequency. And it's not hard to understand why. These are the kind of skills that people need to drive change in a rapidly changing exterior world. And they're not soft at all, they're necessary. So I don't, I don't use the term soft skills either. Yeah, good. No, I think, and if we've learned anything this past year is empathy's got to be high on the list at this point, which again is a lot of what you talk about in the sense that corporations can have empathy, empathy for their employees and their workers. I dare say, I don't think my computer has shown me a lot of empathy this past year. You, um, you conclude your book uh, with uh, a really a sense of uh, optimism and hope and uh, appeal to the concept of, which I always love, the growth mindset. Um, what would you say to your corporate colleagues or frankly, the leaders of our community colleges who might not have embraced the worldview that you are describing so effectively uh, in terms of how we should be thinking about skills, skill development, and this growth uh, mindset concept? Well, Obviously, and no, I didn't invent the term uh, growth mindset. That was Carol Dweck, who did lots of very interesting research uh, many years ago already on this topic. So it's been scientifically proved that a growth mindset really does help people to change, and people with a growth mindset can move farther faster. And I think that applies to corporations and individuals as well. So we have to believe that we can change. That's the first step in learning new things. And we have to believe that we all have the capacity to learn. We may learn differently, we may learn at different rates, but we all have the capacity to do something new. And I think this past year, again, has shown us many uh, companies, I think were surprised at how quickly and how cleverly their people were able to adapt, to continue to do business and serve their customers. And you know, even our, our institutions, our educational institutions, as you mentioned earlier, 
were able to adapt, go online, find new ways of doing things. So the future isn't going to change any more slowly or any less than the past. So I think a growth mindset and this ability to think, yes, we can, we can become something different. We can use new skills and we can help create the future is going to continue to be really important to our success as a society. Yeah, you mentioned the flexibility and adaptation. I think just today I was uh, scanning my, my email and, and news alerts, and I think the Congressional Budget Office, I think today, is talking about the fact that they think the economy may return to pre-pandemic levels by mid-year. And I thought, wait a minute, that seems, seems quick. But then they base this on what you're talking about, which is that companies like yours and many others, and colleges for that matter, have adapted much more successfully and much more quickly to the pandemic conditions than would have been anticipated, say, back in March when we started seeing uh, closures. And I guess I would like to think uh, you probably feel this way, particularly uh, about your company, Guardian Life Insurance, that uh, even beginning in 2012, as you say, that you were ready in some ways for a pandemic and you were already willing to think differently, behave differently and respond differently. And do you think that's the case? Oh, absolutely. After we went through Superstorm Sandy, we said whatever the world throws at us, whatever rapid change comes along, next time we're going to be ready. We're going to be able to serve our employees and our customers more fully and more quickly and have less disruption in our lives and we need to be ready and we were yeah so any final thoughts uh based on uh your experiences what you've written about what we've talked about for others about how we can emerge from the pandemic and and the economic recession better prepared to anticipate and mitigate risk in other words it don't have to be like this next time, right? We could chart a different path uh, than what we've experienced this past year. Well, you know, Noah, people always ask me, how do I get started on this journey? If I haven't really given a lot of thought to building a growth mindset or a learning culture in my organization, what do I do? And I always say three things. Number one is start small. Find a project or a problem that's vexing that you can solve today or soon. Take a look at that problem and say, what would we need to do differently in order to make this work? So start small. Number two is don't give up. We had a lot, we ran into a lot of dead ends along the way. And we, you know, at Guardian, I think Guardian continues to use trial and error as one of the ways we learn and grow. Think about it, toddlers learn how to walk by falling down a lot. So as adults and as you know, corporate people or educational institutions, leaders, we don't really wanna make any mistakes at all, but it's really hard to grow without making mistakes. So start small to don't give up, be willing to accept some mistakes along the way. And three, 
build a learning mindset. And this is true for people as well as educational institutions and corporations. Be thinking about what we need to do next, what might happen, what could we imagine happening, and how could we prepare for that? That's really what the learning mindset is all about. So my best advice is start small, be willing to accept mistakes, don't give up, and think about that learning growth mindset. And I think you'll go farther faster than you might ever have imagined. Well, I agree. And I hope that our trustees and presidents that are listening have wrote those things down because it works. I, you know, I reflect on even ACCT, the pivots that we had to make beginning in March. And looking back and listening to what you say, we did start small. We held our very first virtual meeting in April, had no idea whether it would work. And it was very successful. And from there, we were able to do larger and more robust meetings with a lot of confidence um, because we knew what we were doing. And I would tell you that I don't think we're ever going to go back fully to the way that we've done business up until now. And I know that Guardian won't either. It's interesting, uh, Deanna, that the life insurance business is all about risk mitigation. And, but I have to say that not all companies, I think, really embrace their own identity and their own nature the way that you did and the way that Guardian Life did. Uh, and it's a true testament uh, to your leadership and to the company uh, that you adapted and actually lived by the rules uh, that you were created uh, to pursue. So I really want to thank you, Deanna, for spending some time with me and talking about your new book, Higher Purpose. That's H-I-R-E. I commend uh, our listeners uh, to get a copy and to read the book. Uh, it's well worth it. And uh, I think there's a lot of lessons that uh, trustees and, and college presidents can take and adapt to their own institutions. And um, as, uh, as I'm sure you know, Deanna, what's the number one lesson of leadership is that uh, you're ready for when the challenge comes and the ability to entice people to join you. I always like that thing about leadership. Uh, how do you know if you're a leader? And the answer is, if you turn around and there are people following you, you're a leader. Uh, but again, appreciate uh, your joining us this afternoon. Uh, appreciate the relationship we have with Guardian Life Insurance and uh, hope that that relationship continues for a long time into the future. So thank you again. Thank you, Noah. And I would like to thank all of your listeners for the great job and the great work that they do on behalf of their communities. Community colleges are the unsung heroes sometimes of our educational system. And of course at Guardian, we tried to shine a spotlight on the community colleges and all the great work they do. And I continue uh, to do that as I speak to groups of people like yourself. So I would like to thank you for all that you have done for us and all that we have learned from you and your students and all the terrific people we've met who've joined Guardian or contributed to our learning. It's been a real pleasure being associated with you and I look forward to many more of these conversations. 
If you'd like more information about Diana's book, Higher Purpose, I'll include a link in the description of this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. <laughs>